Let me ask you as we begin, what, what do you fear? Most people fear something. I mean, they don't have a show called, it's not on anymore, I don't think, but re- reruns, Fear Factor, unless most of the people in society have a fear of something. Many of us probably fear several things. If we ask what are some of the fears in your own families, probably get all different answers. Well, here are some of the fears that you might find in our family. Okay? Uh, one is acrophobia. We could probably also say arachnophobia, uh, but acrophobia, the fear of heights. Anybody afraid of heights? All right? So, not alone. Here's some other fears. I don't know if you've heard this one, cholrophobia. Anybody know what cholrophobia is? The fear of clowns. Look at that clown. Does he look scary to you? Fear of clowns. How about this one? Ferrophobia. Any idea what that is? It's the fear of Ferris wheels. They are the most awful ride at an amusement park. <laughs> I was going to make up a word for that, and I Googled it, and there was a website that had that. I'm going to go with it. So I'm not the only one. Fear is closely related to protection. Okay? When we fear something, it's because we perceive a threat to ourselves or to someone we love or care about, and we're hit with a feeling of fear when that threat is presented to us. Fear warns us of potential danger. All the way back at the beginning of creation, we were at least created with some sort of understanding of fear, although I don't think it was what we were called to do or be. But we had an ability to understand fear. But at at that perfect creation, at the beginning, Adam and Eve were in relationship with God, in perfect relationship with God, and What was there to fear? Nothing. There was no fear or reason to fear. And it's not until Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 10, after Adam and Eve disobey God and they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that we see fear appear in creation. If you know that story, if not, you you can take a look at Genesis 3 later. God asks Adam, After they had sinned, where are you? Do you remember Adam's response? Adam's response, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And they hide themselves from God's presence. Sin caused man to fear before God the Creator. They were afraid. The loving relationship Adam enjoyed with the Lord was gone. And you fast forward to today, and sin still causes man to fear. Fear dominates our culture. Fear this disease. Fear this political party. Okay, 24-hour news stations don't exist except for the fear that they peddle as news to us. For some, fear is very serious and it's a paralyzing issue. It ensnares us, it allows us to live 
sorry, it doesn't allow us to live the way that God intended us to live. And we've spent much time and money, we spent much counsel as a society on helping people cope with certain fears. Which is why coming to a text like Matthew 10, 26-31 and hearing Jesus tell us three times that we should not fear seems, seems a bit simplistic. I mean, is it this, that easy? We have all these resources at our disposal as a society and the answer is in the Bible? Well, yeah, it is. Jesus knows people. Jesus knows you and he knows as as our creator what we're prone to do what we're prone to feel then he became like us and walked in our shoes jesus knows us the reason that we fear is because we lose sight of gospel truths jesus here in chapter 10, calls his disciples, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, gives them instruction on their mission. Do you remember their mission? Preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the good news that you're, you're, you're ushering into the world. Preach this message. Then he tells them, we looked at last week, look, but along the way, you're going to have enemies. You're going to experience persecution. It's not going to be easy. So you come to verse 26, and Jesus knows they're going to feel afraid. They're going to feel threatened. But Jesus meets them right where they're at, and he tells them, look, I want you to look beyond these immediate threats, these immediate enemies, and focus your mind and heart on gospel truths, which are eternal truths. It's in the face of fear that we need to be reassured with truth, real truth, eternal truth, gospel truth. So three times Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid, and then he gives them truth-filled reasons why he thinks it's possible for them to live without fear while following their master. That, that's what they're called to do. Follow me. That's what we're called to do. But how do we do this without fear? It's possible, though, to live in obedience as a disciple and to not live in fear. So here, here's our main truth for this morning. A disciple can live without fear while following their master. What he's called us to is not only possible, but it's possible to do with confidence. You don't need to uh, as well abandon the cause of following Christ so that you can live in peace. That you can live without fear. But that's going to be the temptation. The enemies are going to come. The world is going to push back. The challenges are going to be there. You're going to feel the persecution. But you can press forward without fear. So three, I got three gospel truths that Jesus gives us that we must believe but will ultimately drive out fear in our lives we don't have a whole lot of time, so let's jump right in. Number one, Jesus' kingdom will emerge. Verses 26 and 27, as Jesus begins his, 
continues, let me say that, continues his, his teaching to the disciples, it starts out with this little word, so. These little conjunctions when you're reading your Bible are, are, are so important. They're very important. They help us recognize the context of the passage. They help us to understand how the text flows. So whatever Jesus has told them before about enemies, so, therefore, have no fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Don't be frightened by the enemies that I've told you about. Have you ever been to the doctor before, before a procedure? And, of course, they always have to do the, the list of uh, possible, what, what could possibly go wrong, the side effects. Maybe that's a minuscule chance of it happening, but they always... Um, it's like they always start out with, like, I don't want you to be scared, but there's a few things I need you to know. And as soon as they say that, whatever they're about to say, you know that it's probably going to scare you. There's a 0.3% chance that it could cause this? That this could happen to me? Jesus says, have no fear of them, of these enemies. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking in their mind, that would be a lot easier to believe if you didn't tell me the whole sheep and wolf thing back in verse 16. That we're going to be like sheep going into wolves. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What's he saying here? There are things that are covered now, things that are hidden now, that are going to be revealed, that are going to be made known to everyone. And remember, this is all a transition time in God's unfolding plan, the ministry of Christ. We're going from God dealing with the nation of Israel to ultimately the book of Acts where the, the, the church is established. Jesus is preparing his disciples for a great ministry and laying this foundation for the early church. Many people may not see it, but one day they will, Jesus says. What, what is covered now will ultimately be revealed at some point. You're on the right side of this message. I'm calling you to, to preach and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it may not look like it's clear to you right now, but it is coming and it will be revealed. Verse 27 what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetop. So Jesus has been teaching his disciples things that the crowds didn't hear. Things that were, that were only for their ears. But he's preparing them, for them a future that goes beyond even his earthly ministry. Like Jesus is going to be teaching the people certain things, but the disciples are going to start connecting the dots even further in their ministry. And what? He's telling them in the dark. He says, you're, you're going to proclaim this in the light. You may not understand it all yet, but one day you will bring to light what I have taught you. And you're going to be proclaiming it from the rooftops. That is, so everybody can see and hear you. I've called you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And one day this kingdom, which is spiritual now, will come just as advertised. Just like I've been telling you. 
And the truth of the kingdom of heaven will emerge. And in, that, in the end, this kingdom is the only kingdom that will stand. So proclaim the message loud and clear. Preach it without fear because it's a reliable message. And you might think, well, look, in a world where all news seems to, be, seems to carry with it, hashtag fake news. How do we know what is true? Dennis, if I'm honest, I, I, I sort of believe that each person creates their own truth. A lot of people are like, have this mindset. Maybe you have this here this morning. And this thinking might sound good on the surface. It might seem like it makes sense, but it doesn't take long for us to realize that there is a need for objective truth. Truth that is outside of ourselves, that there's some standard outside of each one of us that we must be submitting to as far as what is true and what is not true. If there's not, I mean, where do we draw the line between what you perceive as truth and what I perceive as truth and what they perceive as truth and that person over there? How could we ever say that's wrong and that's right? That, that's where our, our culture is right now. What's wrong? What's right? Well, if truth is left to the individual, then there's no, there's no limit to where our society will head. But we are wired to know truth. God the Creator reveals His truth to us in His Word. We, we want to know what is true. We feel we feel deceived and we feel wrong when, when, when we're given fake news, when we're not given the full truth. God gives us Jesus, His Son, who says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Speaking about the kingdom, here's what Jesus says in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, right? like this is true. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The very kingdom that the disciples were to be proclaiming is coming. So the kingdom the disciples were to preach about can only be seen by the one, Jesus' own words, who are born again. Spiritually reborn into God's family by faith in Jesus' death, death and resurrection. And this is the gospel message that we are called to proclaim as his disciples. His kingdom is an already not yet kingdom. Already it's here in the spiritual sense. He's ruling and reigning as king. But we know there's more. It's not yet fully realized he hasn't returned yet for his people. He hasn't established a new heaven and a new earth where he will rule and reign for all of eternity in that sense. But one day Jesus will come and his disciples from every corner of the world will be gathered to him and he will reign as king over that new creation. That's the kingdom that's coming. There's a sense in which what Jesus says in verse 26, it is still covered, but it will be revealed. You know, our world offers many religious alternatives. Some of these sound a lot easier to believe than maybe what we read in God's Word. Our world also belittles and demeans anyone who doesn't toe the line of cultural thinking. 
Our world changes the definition of what truth even means. And all of these things can prompt the feeling of fear within us as disciples. Is Jesus really coming back? Is this really the only way of salvation? And as Christians, look, we, we, we wait for something we can't see. Something we can't experience. There's, no, there's nothing we can handle. We can't even explain it sometimes. Have you ever been there? Like, people ask you questions about what you believe and, and, and the future, and I don't even know how to explain it. Will this kingdom come? Will Jesus really come again? Is this, is this message of the gospel worth continuing to preach? And yet we hear Jesus' words echo in our ears. Have no fear of them. For what is covered will be revealed. What is hidden will be made known. So disciple here this morning, proclaim it. Proclaim the message of the gospel from the housetops. Don't let fear keep you from proclaiming truth. God's kingdom will emerge and it will stand when all other kingdoms pass away. We have a reliable message that has endured and will endure to the end. Believing this gospel truth of Jesus' kingdom being revealed will cause your fear to diminish. Number two, second truth that Jesus brings into this encouragement is in verse 28, and it is this, God is the ultimate judge. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So what does Jesus do? He presents a contrast to persons. There are some, there are people, those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And there is one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's your contrast. Well, we are, as human beings, both soul and body. We are both material and immaterial. Do not fear those who can kill the material, but cannot kill the immaterial. And Jesus reminds his disciples of the basic Christian doctrine of humanity. Who, who are we as people? How did God make us and create us, not just as physical, earthly beings, but as heavenly, spiritual beings as well? And so what do we, I mean, just once again, doctrinal truth leads to practical Christian living. A simple doctrine of the humanity of man leads us, as Jesus calls us to, to drive out fear in our life. You, the practical living that you need must be grounded and founded on doctrinal truth. So we read something as simple as that, and it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we are more than cells and tissues and organs and bones. We're more than that. We're more than this body. So what is Jesus ultimately calling them to do? Think past what's right in front of you and think about someone who stands above them. 
Think about the judge. Think about something that is to come. And again, we point back to verse 15. We've been pointing back to verse 15 quite a bit where Jesus talks about on the day of judgment because this, this thought is interwoven throughout this whole passage. On the day of judgment, you must be thinking about that day is to come, that is to come. So, so don't fear the one that can only kill the body. Rather, fear. Now, he's told them already to not fear twice. Verses 26, okay, uh, and, and then verse 28. Do not fear. Have no fear of them. Now he commands them, to fear. thought we weren't supposed to be fearing here, but, but now we have fear, a command to fear. Fear is an interesting word when used in relation to, to God. Proverbs 1.7. Some of you may know this verse. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You, you want to know true wisdom? Fear the Lord. The only time in Scripture that we're ever commanded to fear is in relation to the Lord. Now, when we think about the word fear, fear can mean two things. It can mean to be afraid or terrified. That's what we've been talking about. Don't fear man. Don't fear these enemies. Don't be terrified of them. Or it can mean to have respect or reverence for, to be filled with awe. Think about Ephesians 5.21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's the Greek word in this verse, phobia, which hopefully that's that's how we get these, you know, arachnophobia, acrophobia. What word do you think is translated fear in this verse? Well, it is the word reverence. It's the same word as the word that we think about of, of, of fear, but here it's translated reverence. And in some ways, these two definitions of fear overlap with each other. So here Jesus issues a command that in the face of the enemies, the disciples are not to fear, they're not to tremble or to be afraid. But we could also say, you're not to have reverence for these people who cannot kill the body. You're not to have reverence for them in the same way you're to have reverence for God where you make, in your mind, you make these people to be all-powerful. Those who can kill the body can only kill the body. That's it. And this body is just temporary. In other words, their power is limited. And so to fear them is actually to strip God of who he is as the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one, and you're attributing that to people who are far from omnipotent. You attribute to them more power than they deserve. Instead, he says, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So disciple, whatever physical persecution may come, this is worse. Hell is worse. Hell is real. Jesus teaches on it right here. The first disciple listed in this this list back in chapter 2, Peter, 
Simon, Peter, he says this in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 42. He's going he's to preach this to the Gentiles as, as the early church is being established. And he, this is what he says in Acts 10, 42, and he, that is Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So Peter says, look, Jesus commanded us to preach that he is actually the judge at the end. He is the one that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Sounds like Peter, without fear, is proclaiming what he had been told in the dark. Being obedient to the command. Once again, we come to a hard truth and for some of you, you might be thinking, look, hell, hell is just something I can't get on board with. A good God is going to send people to eternal judgment? I, I just, I can't get on board with that. Now, Jesus has much to say about hell. This is one verse where he, he, he mentioned it. But this doesn't make it an easy doctrine for us to believe but at the same time, denying something because we don't like it doesn't make it untrue. Matthew is going to record for us Jesus' words later in Matthew 25, 41. And here's what Jesus later on in the book of Matthew says about hell. He says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. You know what it says here? Prepared for the devil and his angels. God has prepared hell for the, for the angels, for Satan who rebelled against him. And when humanity followed into that rebellion, hell became our destiny as well. But in love, God became like his creation. Jesus, though perfect in life, gave his life and received the judgment of God for his people so that we would never need to experience There are no good people in hell. Sometimes we use that as an excuse to, pl- to explain away this truth. But hell is only full of sinful rebels against the Creator. And it's not like it doesn't come without warning. What, what is Jesus doing right here? He's warning His disciples Hell doesn't need to be your destiny. God holds your life in his hand and has the power to not only condemn your body, but to condemn your soul in hell forever. Fear him. Recognize him as the powerful God that he is. Come before him in humility and submit yourself Disciple, the threats of the enemy are real. But remember, they, the enemy is limited in power. Don't allow the fear of man to stop you from following Jesus. Maybe I need to ask, how is fear keeping you from following Jesus here this morning? Or in your life currently? Maybe it's baptism. 
I know I need to do it, but I'm afraid. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. Maybe it's seeking counsel for your struggling marriage. Maybe it's finding help for an addiction that you're struggling with. But at the end of your life, you will stand before one judge, and he alone has the power to grant life or death to both your body and soul. The basis of your judgment is, are you following the master? Are you a disciple? Are you a Christian in both word and deed? You know the word Christian just means little Christ? You're you're following him? You're trusting in him? That's the basis of our standing before God. That's what we will be judged on at the end. And believing this gospel truth that God is the ultimate judge will cause your fear of man to diminish. Number three, verses 29 to 31. The third truth that Jesus brings in here is this. You are highly valued. You are highly valued. Verse 29, we have this question about birds. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Or in the... Not, we, we have a translated penny, but it's a small Roman copper coin. I've read anything from this coin would have been one-tenth to one-sixteenth of a denarius. That would have been a day's wage. So, so one-tenth to one-sixteenth of a day's wage. Today, we would say that's like 10 to 20 bucks. Not much money. That's the whole point. They're, these sparrows are cheap. Buy one, get one free. You get two of them. Not highly valuable for most people, which is why Jesus uses them as an example because he's encouraging his disciples that even these little valued birds are thought of highly by your father. This is the second time now that he uses this relational language of your father. Your father. Yahweh, the creator God, knows all of his creation and he cares for them. And then he says this in the second part of verse 29, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not one of these little valued birds will die without your father knowing and permitting that to happen. Your father is the sovereign ruler of all things. Nothing happens apart from his wisdom and allowing it to happen. He's not going to get distracted and, and, and miss and slip up for a moment. He's not going to drop the ball. His, his love and his concern goes even to the creatures who have little perceived value to others. But they are important to God. So think about what the disciples are facing. They're, they're facing enemies that very well their life could be on the line. But Jesus says, look, you're not going to die unless God knows it and allows it. Just like the birds, not one of them will fall unless God allows it. Then in verse 30, he directs their focus to their head. Think about your hair. Your father even knows the number of hairs on your head. 
We don't, we, it's impossible to count the number of hairs on our head, but yet God knows even that. And then he says, verse 31, this is the, the first time we have a, an imperative command. The other two uses of the word fear, where he tells them fear not and do not fear, that's, it, it's, it's passive but here is an, is an imperative command. Based on this, fear not. Because of this truth, don't fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Like, put all the sparrows together. You're more valuable than that. And Jesus isn't telling his disciples that they're more valuable because they could be sold for more than birds. Like, they're... they're, they're comp- Make, composite makeup or something or they're, they're used to other people is more valuable so they can be sold for more. No, it's not the value of what God can get out of you, but it's value wrapped in love. The best way I could think about this was parents. Can you put a price tag on your kids? You say they're valuable. Some of you would, I think. I'm sorry if this is bringing out Trauma for some of the kids sitting here. Can you put a price tag on your kid to determine their value? No. They are priceless. Their value surpasses any treasure. And that's the idea of value here. So for the disciples, as they hear the words of Jesus, it must fall on them with great comfort great assurance. Jesus says, I I know what I'm calling you to do, but you are highly valued. You're not just some pawns in, in, in a cosmic creator's plan. You are sons of the heavenly Father and set apart for his mission. So this morning, friends, brothers and sisters, look at the birds. If you see one dead, you probably don't think much of it. But God knew all about that and allowed it. And the value of men and women is far greater. Only men and women are created in the image of God, created to be able to have a relationship with Him. Humanity is unique and it's valued above all creation just for who we are. As image bearers, And then Jesus entered this world as a human to die for humans. He didn't come to be an angel or any other being. In fact, Hebrews 2 verse 7, it says, You have made him for a little while, not forever, for a little while, lower than the angels. How valuable are people? Valuable enough that God the Father sent his own son to become like us, to die for us. I addressed you as brother and sister, Christian brother and sister, and I I can address you like that because we have a mutual father, a heavenly father, who brings all those who believe into his family, adopts us as sons and daughters. He highly values you. 
And his value for you is not based on what happens often in our culture. We live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately culture. God's not looking at us saying, well, what have you done for me lately? It's not based on your giftedness and abilities. It's not based on your service in the church. It's not based on how faithfully you follow the rules. Your value is established by Jesus' work. It's fixed. It can never change. The Father values you because he highly values Jesus. And when a person puts their faith in, in Jesus and believes the gospel, the Bible describes them as being in Christ. Our position with God as we are in Christ is established and firm and fixed. My standing before God then is not on my own merits. It's on Jesus. I become a child of the King, which brings with it great value. Do we earn that value? No. It's freely offered to us because of what Jesus has done. And so our value to the Father is as high as it will ever be. It'll never be higher. No matter what you do or don't do, if you are a child of God, it it is as high as it'll ever be. It's not volatile like the stock market or Bitcoin prices that go up and down. It's fixed and firm. And so as I thought about that, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked myself. If this is the case, why do we fear? If God knows the hairs on your head and cares for the birds, why do we doubt he cares for us? Why do I doubt that? Fear isn't an issue of circumstance. It's an issue of faith. Fear stems from faithlessness. Because we often say things like, well, if I had enough money, I wouldn't fear how I'm going to pay the bill. If they wouldn't make fun of me, then maybe I would share the gospel with them. If I didn't have a reputation, maybe I would seek help in my marriage. Jesus paints a picture of circumstances that are extremely challenging for us. There's enemies all around, wolves. You're going out like sheep. This circumstance is going to remain until the end of life, until I return. You might give your life in following me. Give your body. And that's a circumstance that a disciple can expect. And yet Jesus says, fear not. Put your faith in the Father. Trust that he values you deeply. He's with you at every turn. He cares about both the biggest things in your life and the smallest things going on in your life. In the, in the course of your life, you will face situations that, that will begin to stir fear in you. In you. And that fear can even cripple you if you're not actively pursuing ways to put gospel truth in your life, to keep gospel truths in your mind and heart. So that means Sunday worship is a priority. 
hearing the truth of the gospel being preached and sung and read and conversed among ourselves. Personal time in the word and prayer is a priority. Spiritually minded, Christ-centered friends are a priority. I used a lot of descriptions there. You notice I didn't say church-going friends or religious friends. No, we need friends not just who go to church, but who will point you to Christ, who will have spiritual conversations with you, who will pray with you and point you to these truths. Family time in the Word and prayer is a priority because if you want to drive fear out of your life, the answer is, is right before us in these few verses. Can it be as simple as that? Can it be as simple as resting in the love that your Father has for you because you are in Christ? Stop believing the lies of our culture that tells us that our worth and value is in our career, in our education, in our political identity or our sexual identity, in our gender, in our ethnicity. I mean, we could go on and on where our culture tells us to find our worth and value. But Jesus says, start believing that your value is fixed in the eyes of the Father because of what I have done for you. And it's no accident that John, who is Jesus' disciple, writes this in 1 John 4, 18. We're going we're gonna to actually look at 1 John 4 for a little bit in our communion service time. But here's what Jesus' disciple writes. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Believing the gospel truth that you are highly valued, loved by God, will cause your fear to diminish. One day, the kingdom of Jesus will be fully realized. Heaven will come to earth. Fear will be gone. But until then, Jesus says to the disciples, have no fear of the enemy. Instead, fear God who is judge of all and entrust your life to him knowing that you are highly valued.